covering the world of goaltending in and around the Stanley Cup playoffs. This is In Goal Radio, the podcast. Darren Millard, along with the co-founders of In Goal Magazine, David Hutchinson, in his uh, very humble setting in Vancouver Island, just uh, enjoying the comforts of home. And then we have Kevin Woodley, who's on the other side of Vancouver Island, on the ocean side, the Pacific Ocean side, uh, outside of Tofino, where it's raining and he's surfing and he's taking a break. And he's made time for us uh, with his family uh, on vacation. So uh, this is a really a cool show as we bring the entire world together uh, in Las Vegas and beyond. And the Stanley Cup playoffs continue. And this is a, a fascinating time uh, in which we see some goaltenders being bounced out, some goaltenders being on the verge, and uh, question marks about their future. So I just want to uh, bring you guys into the loop here. Uh, Corey Crawford uh, was fantastic against the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, Woody, does does Corey Crawford come back for more, or is that his swan song? Ooh, that's a good question. I think he comes back for more. The question is obviously whether it's in Chicago. Uh, we talked about this in the past. Like Corey Crawford earlier in his when he was winning cups in the, the first couple of cups, maybe got overlooked. But as that team has deteriorated around him, he's become a massive part of it. And his adjusted numbers over the past couple of seasons when healthy are like in the top 10 in the NHL. He's a massive backbone of that team. And it's funny enough, watching that series against Vegas, Darren, I kind of thought um, game three, Marc-Andre Fleury comes in and beats Crawford two to one. And I said to a couple of people, I'm like, they're lucky they won that game. Because Crawford, that was the first time in the playoffs to me that he looked like Corey Crawford. And obviously we know he had he was diagnosed, had positive COVID test, barely got into training camp, only had a week before the playoffs started. To me, he didn't look like peak Corey Crawford until that game three. And he stole game four. And man, I'm telling you, I always I thought Chicago was gonna be a tough out if he could play at that level. And I think you know, probably Vegas, as as good as Vegas is, they might have got a little bit of a break that it took him three games to get there. And good on them for putting him away when they did because, you know, he was probably just going to keep getting better. And he really is one of the top guys in the league these days. So I, I don't think he's done. I'm curious as, as, as far as where he continues. And if it's in Chicago, um, based on their cap situation. Well, Chicago doesn't have a real... Yeah, what do, what do they do for well, a I mean, The problem is, can they afford to pay him $6 million? And behind him, though, like you can't overlook what they've built behind him. I think a lot of us were surprised when they signed Robin Lehner last summer just because Colin Delia showed like he was an NHL goaltender the year before. Kevin Lanikin, as much as there was still some work to do in the adjustment from Europe, I mean, last year he went back to, to the World Championships and won a gold medal. So there's, there's obviously some upside there as well. Do you roll into next season with both of them? Eh. That's a that's a big ask behind a team that gives up a ton of chances. To me, the only question is, what's Corey Crawford willing to play for, and will that fit with the Blackhawks? Because yeah. seeing him anywhere else would seem weird, and he's certainly showing how good he can be behind that team. Hutch, uh, you uh, are uh, of a certain vintage. So when you saw Corey Crawford making stops in Game 4 and 5, it brought back uh, memories of Grand Fear. Bill Ranford, Rick Tabaracci. There's there's a whole lot going on. I mean, lifting his leg up. There was some Jonathan Quick in there. It, it was less uh, relying on just solid technique and just pure goaltending. And isn't that a theme we're seeing all over the place? Although some of those names you mentioned, I was a bit of an old man by the time they were playing. So I'm an even older vintage. I'm Ken Dryden <laughs> doing the split saves. Uh, would be a little bit more accurate for my age, unfortunately. But I think we've seen a lot of that. Uh, over these playoffs and it's been just a, a vintage time for goaltending uh 
I think we saw Markey doing that last night for the Canucks a fair bit. We've seen Carey going out on a limb a little bit more than we've seen. We know Laner always did anyway. Uh, just a whole lot of that happening out there, and it's been been a great time for goaltending. I think probably as good as we've seen in in a long time in the playoffs. I'm struggling. I'm so glad I can talk to you guys, though, today because there's no morning hockey. What are we doing without morning hockey now? I know. It's bizarre. Uh, let me ask you this, Hutch, because you're uh, you're so dialed in uh, because of uh, young Maddie uh, on the goaltending coach's side. Do, do you think all this um, just impromptu uh, goaltending, make it up as you go along, react, uh, is that frustrating for goalie coaches or is that really great for goalie coaches to see and how does that impact uh, the evolution of the position going forward? Great question. One we could probably do a whole show about. We've had some long conversations yeah. about this and I know Woody often talks about you know, the rise of Russian goaltending and being less structured as you come up. I personally believe that we need to look at this the way we do a lot of sort of high-performance athletics, and we have to do what I'd call periodizing the training. And maybe not so completely formally, but, but suggesting that there's a time uh, when we are training technique and we want to give people the skills to succeed. Uh, but then there's also times that we have to let them sort of apply those in a more creative way and to sort of evolve their understanding and, and use of those tools. Um, so, so I think enabling both in a, in a kid's development are incredibly important. I'm not a black and white. It's got to be one or the other. Um, and then the other piece would be that I think we're also seeing, it's not that guys throw it all out right from the first puck that comes on net. I think we're as, as maybe no. they used to, I think we're now learning um, to develop those skills so that we can, you know, and now it's not on the second save when we throw out the book, it's maybe on the third save. So we develop that talent to be able to, to hang in there for a longer period of time, but still having that athleticism to rely on when you need to. Well, a great example of that, uh, Woody, was Markstrom in the dump-in against the St. Louis Blues in, in game number five that uh, went off the linesman. If he's not a great skater, and a good athlete, uh, he doesn't get a chance to get back and make the save uh, off uh, off that weird. Ricochet. Yeah, not just a Superman dive, but like he's actually like like he actually makes the save, right? He's not it's not a pure as much as it's a desperation save. He's actually watching that puck and getting that blocker up there, and then the save on Robert Thomas when it was three one a little later. You know, it's interesting. I think. I think what we've come to learn in all our conversations with NHL goaltenders and NHL goalie coaches is. The foundation and the technical foundation is important, but if you don't have another level and you don't have that compete and you haven't sort of built, you can train it, you can like all that. If you don't have it, you're not playing and you need both. And so it, it, it's a matter of, but then the guys who go to it right away and all the time are going to struggle to be consistent. So there is a balance there. And, you know, I mean, appropriate since we're talking about Jacob Barkstrom, but, you know, when we talk about training and stuff, I, I would point to Ian Clark, who, and his interview on, on the podcast, what, what seems like forever ago, um, two-parter, one, one of the key points to him was that, you know, like, you need all those elements, A, um, but that in, in his case, and he's got a goaltender who's, who's 10, um, here he is, one of the most, you know, highest regarded goalie coaches in the world, you know, up there in the, you know, on that list. And he does no coaching of his son at that age, just lets him go out there, compete and, and be structured and, and stresses the need for that compete. And we're seeing it in Markstrom. So, I mean, like anything in goaltending, you have to have a balance. Um, but maybe, maybe, maybe we're seeing that 
I don't say the pendulum swing away from technique, but maybe even more emphasis on having that layer above and beyond technique in order to succeed at the highest level. You can't get away with one or the other exclusively, um, but if you've got both in abundance, uh, you got a pretty good chance. You brought up the pendulum. Uh, we discussed Corey Crawford and Jacob Markstrom, who have been involved in the Stanley Cup playoffs for 2020. And then the other side uh, involves the the teams that were not invited to participate in the 2014 tournament, those seven clubs. And uh, part of that is uh, Linus Olmark uh, of the Buffalo Sabres. And Kevin Woodley had a chance to catch up with Linus uh, at home in Sweden. And it's a great conversation. It's more than 20 minutes, so uh, put it on, have a conversation, and uh, and just let it let it roll. Enjoy this discussion. I joke because Kevin said it was going to be 20 minutes. ended up being uh, close to an hour. But uh, this, is a, this is a great conversation about uh, what uh, Linus is seeing in the Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, motivating yourself during this pause because he knows the season won't start on time uh, at his traditional point of uh, training camp. And then uh, just uh, discussing a little bit about life and uh, and leaning on your goaltending partner. There's a whole lot here. It's our feature interview on In Goal Radio, the podcast. Kevin Woodley with Linus Olmark. So, Linus, first of all, I, I think we want just catch us up on where you're at. Catch our audience up on where you're at. Obviously, back home in Sweden for the summer and what this has been like the hardest part of being away from the game for so long are you watching any hockey what's what's this process been like for you in the last couple of months well it certainly is, was a challenging time uh because we you go home you're expecting that okay this might take one or maybe tops two months and i'll be back and to uh, play off the last of the season but when we as soon as we got the the memo saying that there's going to be a, a playoffs 24 team playoffs turns out we're in 25th place yeah it kind of it sucked in 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 the sports kind of way but for me coming off an injury uh it has been a blessing so i've had i can just kind of swift uh, shift the focus as soon as we got the memo so kind of hey this now we can put this sort of thing with my knee and rehab and everything we can put in a long-term thing we don't have to rush anything uh, i did six weeks in buffalo but now i now i had the whole summer i mean i got home in the late of march and i've been working out almost every, i mean every weekday ever since uh just because of how every, the craziness about this uh, covid thing has been so it's the, the uh, if I would connect to uh, or reconnect to the things that you asked me, yeah, the things that have been the hardest is probably the uh, the motivation aspect to go out there and then okay, yeah, I gotta have. I mean, I start ten weeks earlier than usual, and I'm gonna work out for three more months than usual. So the whole process of like, okay, I'm gonna be stuck here, working out, not practicing with my team or anything like that. So I have to kind of dig down uh, pretty deep to find the motivation and inspiration. But I mean, I have, I just came off my second season, so it's been uh, easier than I expected. Have you had a chance to get back on the ice or given how long you're looking at this break being, is that something you even think about at this point? 
Uh, using the ice twice. Uh, had a goalie camp here uh, with some uh, junior guys that I just helped out. Uh, had the uh, opportunity to uh, try out the new ultrasonic ones with the stiff knee. Stiff knee. Um, we can talk more about that later, I'm sure. Um, so, but I'm, I'm, uh, my schedule is that I'm going to hit the ice in September because there's no real point for me to start working out three or four times on the ice right now because it's still a long way to go. Do you think about just, I mean, is it hard to look at how long it is? Like December 1st is the goal. It might, depending on how things go in the world, it could be even later. Is that, is that like you said, the toughest part of this mentally is sort of even after all this time to look ahead and still see how much more time is left? Yeah, but the good thing about it, about it all is that I do have a, a two and a half year old kid. So it enabled me to be with him for so much more and on a consistent basis that I've got to know him a lot more than I would have done beforehand. So this is, I mean, I'm having a blast here with him and just doing all the things that I wouldn't be able to do uh, beforehand. Or, uh, so, yeah, I mean, if you look at the sports, I would really like to be out there playing playoffs hockey and, and everything. But I am sure that a lot of the guys that are in the bubble right now is struggling a little bit mentally, uh, especially being away from your uh, from family and kids. Yeah, well said. That's well said. Um... Have you watched much of it? And we've, uh, if you haven't, if you have, I, I'd be curious what you think. And if you haven't, like I, I was running the goalie numbers and it was, it was kind of funny to hear some of the theories that were out there going into this. I think a lot of non-goalie media said that goalies would struggle early to find their game, kind of like coming off an off season. And every year, the numbers in October and November, the save percentage drops around the league and the goals go up. I always wondered if that was just because in October and November, teams aren't playing playoff-style defensive intensity. How, how, do you, how do you kind of see that? When we see every year numbers dip around the league, is that more about the goalies or do you think that's more about systems? Uh, <laughs> well, I would, I would suppose that if you look at it mentally, I think Rask really put the, the... He said the great thing saying that it doesn't feel like playoff hockey. And Take a guy like, I mean, Carter Hart, who's done tremendously for himself now during, uh, during this playoff, or Corpusolo, or any of those guys that hasn't had a lot of playoff hockey in them beforehand. I mean, just think about it. If you go out there and you play in front of empty stands and it feels like you're playing a preseason game, you're a lot looser and you're a lot you're not as stressed out as you would have probably have been if you had 19, 20 or 20,000 fans screaming at you when you're playing in, let's say, in Chicago. Um, so being in the same place, just playing around, I think that it would be a lot easier mentally. I can't say for sure because I'm not there. Um, but I'm, I'm surprised that some guys did so well as, as they have done. Um, but I'm not... I mean, there's been some tremendous goaltending, that, that's for sure. And I think that's one of the things that we do so well during off-seasons or during this break that people actually stay put and they kept to fine-tuning their game. And it's not like we have to be a part of a certain system to have our game work. I mean, if we, our job is to stop the puck and we can work on our things in a, in a different way than 
hockey like a forward or a D-man can do. So, but it all comes down to, like you said, playing playoff hockey and being ready and, and not just go around their thing goofing off. And, and so, um, you just look at Philly, like they're flying. They're, they're defensively wise. They're doing a, a heck of a job of keeping everything to the outside and just making it life easier than it <laughs> could have been for, for Carter. I was just going to say, yeah, to me, like I think of the regular season, you're right, some great points there. To me, I always wondered, every year I hear it, right? Oh, the save percentage is down in October and November. And I always wondered how much of it is just because that, that intensity that we're seeing defensively, like a team from the Flyers, you don't usually get that from teams in October. You know what I mean? Sometimes it feels like it's a little harder to get to that level in terms of execution and defensive intensity. This, it may not feel like playoff hockey in terms of the, of the stands, but at least some teams seem to be executing at a playoff level. Well, certainly. Does that make sense? Yeah, certainly. I mean, it's. I haven't watched all the games, but take for instance, like you you never thought that Montreal or Chicago that didn't really, they shouldn't even be in in the first round. They go out there and and they beat their their opponents in the first round to to qualify in for, for the playoffs. I mean, it's just playoff hockey is, is playoff hockey. It doesn't matter if it's this situation with the COVID. It's, it's going to be different. Okay, so let's get to you. Now, where, like when I look at, you know, your hockey DB hometown is, I'm going to butcher this, by the way, but is it L- Lugnvik, Sweden? And is that where you're at now? <laughs> I, I got Attaboy. it. Attaboy. See, I, need, I needed the shortcut because I remember obviously covering the Sedins and my first, my first actually year in the, covering the NHL was uh, when the Canucks had training camp in Stockholm. And I had to, I was trying to learn how to pronounce Onskoldvik and the twins just told me to call it Ovik. But I, I didn't have that shortcut yes. for you. So w- walk me through. I, I'm curious what it was like for you growing up. I'm, I'm guessing that's a smaller town. Um, just I, I'm, I'm <laughs> a smaller town. Yeah, it's a, that's yeah. It, it it's not it's not a smaller town. I mean, as of now, we're we're sub 300 people living there. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that's a, that's like a small neighborhood. So- Small neighborhood, completely right. I mean, I had more people living in in my uh, apartment complex a couple of years ago. So <laughs> it's it certainly is small. It used to be a little bit bigger uh, when we had a uh, running factories. I mean, during the seventies, eighties, people were actually living there. Um, then things started to uh, evolve, and people started moving out and living moving into the bigger cities. Um, but for me, I mean, it was just a, a very carefree world. Um, we had a had a rink. Uh, it was inside. It was, I mean, we had still natural ice. It wasn't any fancy stuff. There was still our uh, our janitor was standing there in the middle of the <laughs> middle of the feed, just spraying water all around, and we hand painted everything. So wooden boards we had nets uh, behind it there's no plexiglass or anything like that uh, but the best part of it all was that it was never locked so me my brother who is four years older we we would probably we would always be there it, does, it didn't matter if we had a practice or it was a day off we would always be there just skating around Never with my goalie stuff, though, because that was a, such a boring thing to do. I was always skating around as a, a regular guy. Um, but that just enabled me to kind of 
have that sense of uh, having fun at all times and just enjoy it. And we, uh, there was not a lot of things to do in, in the neighborhood. It was hockey in the winter and it was soccer in the summer and that's it. And everybody was just happy with it. So when did goaltending become something that held your interest? What age and what was that evolution like for you? Because I think there's, you know, we've heard it from a lot of different guys. Um, just the importance of going out and playing. I mean, at a time now where, I mean, goalies are sometimes in the position exclusively at the age of like eight or nine, they've got specialty coaches. I'm curious when you started, when that happened for you and how much you credit your success to, like you said, the ability to just go out and play and enjoy the game at an early age versus having it so structured. When did things shift for you and how do you think that environment played into your development? Um, and, and where did the love start for goaltending? Um, well, I, I wanted to be... Uh, so the thing was that growing up, I was a, I was a player. I mean, I was swift, shifting between D or forward all, and, uh, and as a goalie all the way up until I turned 15. That was last year I was uh, playing as a... Uh, a forward and uh, just started playing goal thing full time because that was what I was better at. Um, so for me, it, it's always been there. I always loved the gear, the masks, the whole goal thing thing. I always thought they were cool. I uh, loved watching. I mean, uh, Peter Forsberg was one of the guys that uh, was one of my idol growing up and they always kind of they show the the Colorado games on TV. So we put the v, VHR, VHS. Yeah, the VHS. Ta- we well, were taping it. That's right. We were taping it. And that's where I, yeah, VHS. So that's when I started to kind of, okay, I saw there was a lot of games against Detroit, but I didn't like Detroit because they were the, the bad guys almost. So I watched them, uh, Colorado play, and obviously Patrick Roy was the big guy there. And that's where I kind of fell in love with being a goalie because I always wanted to be as Patrick Raw. And then all of a sudden there was another guy that was playing this crazy type of goaltending that I felt like, okay, this guy is, I want to be like him. And it was Dominic Hasek because we had the same helmet. He didn't have a mask. He had a, he had a, had to be a regular bucket almost. And, I had that for a long time, so I felt a little bit connected to him in, in that sort of way. So that's when I, I shifted away from, from Ra to, uh, to Hasek. And, I mean, when I started, I turned 15, yeah, I wanted to be, I mean, I wanted to be a pro. I wanted to play professional. I knew that I wasn't a top, uh, top prospect or anything like that. I mean, when, when we were 16 years old and, we have just you have your first like national team camps for juniors. I got cut off right off the start. Like I had, I was not even top hundred or whatever. It was just so many in front of me. But still thought that hockey was fun. I attended high high school, whatever you call it, gymnasium, and uh, just played for fun and say, hey, if this worked out, it works out. If not, I'm gonna be a veterinarian and uh, see. It didn't work out being a veterinarian, so here I am being a hockey player. <laughs> well, I've seen the corgis on Instagram, so I, I know there's a love for uh, dogs and animals in the family too. So that that sounds like a good plan. My, I got a daughter here that would like to follow those footsteps, both in terms of the corgi and the veterinarian role. Um, so I'm I'm curious the playing out for so long, playing as a forward as a defenseman, 
Uh, Braden Holtby once told me that his dad wouldn't let him go in goal until he was 13 or just goal. And that he felt learning the game, not just the position, the flow, the way that other players thought, he felt that helped him as a goalie. Looking back, do you think it helped you as a goalie having played forward in defense for so long as well? Sort of reading the game? Well, yeah, I think certainly that was one of the... uh my bigger advantages uh, because it's, it enabled me to become a lot more uh, focused and uh, I analyze a lot. So for me, if I would just been a goaltender for all my years, I would just been able to analyze myself and not analyze what's going on in front of me. Uh, because sometimes you can analyze yourself and you can say okay i should have saved that park i should have saved that park i should have saved that park i should have done this done that yada yada but f- sometimes you're playing against elite guys who's gonna go top shelf from ridiculously angles that you think that it's sealed off you're just gonna tip your hat saying like congrats like let's move on and it's nothing you can do about it and Coming, that took me a long time to, to kind of understand because I was so focused on saving every puck and just I wouldn't let anything go afterwards. So I could let things go during the game, but then afterwards when I was watching games, I just thought to myself, I should have saved that puck if I did this or I did that. In life, you don't have the luxury to, to do that sort of stuff. So I just kind of started becoming a little bit more carefree when it comes to my own uh, analyzing. Is there anyone that helped you sort of come to that or did you come to that realization yourself? Because like, it's, sometimes it's not easy. We, I know a lot of goalies that, you know, right into their NHL careers, they'll admit after the fact that they were guilty of overanalyzing their game and, and that that could become a weakness. Who, who sort of helped you find that? Was that you on your own or did you have a, a guide there? No, I, I took the biggest step this year with Belsey. Uh, for for sure, he he uh, did a great job of explaining things in how he likes to watch stuff and how he thinks about the goals. And all the things when I was younger, I didn't really care at all. So I had to kind of start analyzing because I didn't have a play style. I was just all over the place. There was no real th- analyzing thing going on. But once you start getting stuff together and you're uh, using your legs in a certain way and you're using your reverse and you have a, a game plan that's when you can start analyzing yourself and the game so i got to a point where analyzing everything i was watching every shot there was i watching every save goal whatever and it just started became become too much because it works maybe in the beginning when you're a backup and you don't play as many games you maybe get 15 to 20 chances a year then you might have to kind of go in deep and watch everything and, and learn from it so you can go forward and play those minutes. So, but when you start playing those big minutes, there's no time to analyze stuff. You just have to go with the floor and you start playing. If there's a, uh, a certain thing or a certain uh, movement that you're struggling with, you're going to nail it if you, start, if you keep working on it in practice. But... You can't just go in there in a the game saying, oh, I wonder if I, if I can do it today or if, if I should even start using it or if I take it away. Like those, those thoughts 
can't cross your mind because then you're getting slow and you just have to <laughs> adapt to the situation and not just get caught off just thinking that you might have to do it. Okay, so you talked about uh, some of your influences growing up and watching Patrick Waugh and watching Dominic Hasek. At what point did you, and obviously Mike Bales last year, and I know you've had some other, Andrew Allen is a, is a favorite guy of mine. Uh, you had him in Buffalo for a little while. And, and different, what point did, like, when was your first goalie coach? Was that when you got to Moto or, or when did you start to put those pieces together and not, as you say, just play all over the place? Well, I had a goal, I've had a goaltending coach for a long time when we were younger, but not as, like, as a professional goaltending coach. It was like a guy that was helping me. So very old fashioned, you know, just doing the old, old stuff, standing up. Um, then I got to the Moto's gymnasium. And that's where my, like, my real first goalie coach came in. Um, he, he sadly, he, uh, he got fired uh, after, I don't know, maybe after one year of working with him. He was also working with the, with the big team. And uh, in comes Ian Clark. Clarky. I, I know Clarky. Uh, who uh, was a, you know Clarky, a Vancouver guy. Uh, well, he's not from Vancouver originally, but. In comes Clarkie, um, who had a, a close relationship with, uh, with Marcus Naslund because they were in the same, same team working together. Uh, so he came in and he explained a lot of things. He showed a lot of things. There was just a, there was like a whole new world opening up for me with skate positioning knee positioning head uh, movements shoulder movements all this like glove hands positionings all this sort of stuff that i love to kind of go down and dig deep in and just start like analyzing and just work and it was it was so much fun because it it enabled me to kind of learn that okay this is so much more stuff for me to learn and i have just scratched the surface and I, I've gotten this good, so maybe if I can use all these things and just soak everything up like a sponge when Clarky talks to me, maybe I can get even better and maybe have a shot at playing in the big team. And uh, two, three years afterwards, I, w I uh, made my dream come true, and then I play with the big team. To give you the background, Ian Clark's also the guy that I learned goaltending from because he used to have a magazine and that was where I first got introduced to it. He asked me to edit his magazine. So all those things you talk about, the details and the positioning and all that stuff, I learned about goaltending for the first time in my 30s by reading all the different manuals and editing all the different articles he wrote about all those specifics. So I know what you like. I know how detailed Ian can be. And it sounds like you really soaked it up. And I think that's important because not everybody wants to hear all those details. No, certainly not. And especially if you talk to an older guy that maybe have a certain way of playing and haven't been introduced to all this sort of stuff. And it's a lot harder for them to, to adapt and, and evolve from there. Uh, it takes a certain personality to, to do that. But for me as a young guy, it was, it was such a blast. And me... Ian really helped me evolve as a person also uh, to kind of help me grow up together with what uh, with the next goalie coach that came into the organization, Masse Swarf. Uh, they, they really helped me grow as a person and that helped me grow as a goalie. 
That's great. Now I'm glad you said his name because I've met I've met him a couple of times at different symposiums, um, but I still can't pronounce it. I butcher it every time. So um, from there, Buffalo, Buffalo drafts you in 2012. Um, you start to make the transition over to to, to North America a few years later. Um, what what do you remember of that transition? Who made it easier for you, and you know, what kind of things did you have to change for the North American game? sort of around that time and around that era smaller rinks a little bit what what else had to change what what was part of that transformation what was the hardest part of that transformation for you uh well the i think the biggest change was definitely the schedule uh and the traveling uh i've done a lot of bus trips uh playing in Sweden, up north in sweden so that was not a a new thing for me but we also flew when we flew uh, to the southern uh, southern countries, southern cities. So that was easier. Um, so coming into North America, yeah, there's a there's a language barrier. Um, there's the whole living situation. So the more I got accustomed to and more adjusted to the American lifestyle and got to know the city, the the staff, players, all the things that's not really hockey related that's when i thrived and that's when i actually started playing better because i struggled my first year in the minors uh didn't really feel like there was something for me it was i mean long long way home Uh, it was just me and and my now wife uh, at the time coming in the second year we got some sweets uh, in the team. Uh, had Nylander, for example, uh, another guy called Daniel. And that made it a lot easier. I started getting friends uh, in, the, in the team as well. And we talked about it this year as well, uh, me and Belsey, that he, he asked me all this sort of stuff of if I had a kinder or a preschool set up or if I had how, how's my living situation. And he really put an emphasis on saying that if, if everything is taken care of off, off the ice, it's going to be a, a, a lot easier to perform on the ice because there's no hesitation. There's no question marks that you might think that you put away and that you're not thinking about, but they're still there. And thinking about it, I've talked to our uh, mental coaches as well uh, and they say the same thing. These thoughts that you think that you don't have when you go in to play a game, they're still there. There are still apps running in the background, draining your energy, draining your focus. So if you can erase them, shut them down, that's, that's when it becomes easier to go play hockey because you just go out there and play hockey. You don't do anything else. That sounds like great advice. Um... What about working with a guy like Carter Hutton as well as a playing partner? Obviously, a guy that we've known here at Ingle for a while and had a good relationship with. Any lessons from him over over the you know since since he joined and became part of this equation? I know he's I know he's a guy that thinks the game well as well and uh, has a great attitude towards it. <laughs> Me and Hutsi, uh I, w- I would say like from my point of view, we have a great relationship. Uh, it works on and off the ice. Um, I think I've made him aware of some things that he wasn't aware of before, like <laughs> equipment-wise. Uh, I might have opened Pandora's box when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to that, but 
for me, it's it's been great having Hutz uh, right next to me in in my development, just because he's such a carefree, down to earth, and he's a great locker room guy, and he's just one of those guys that you want to see have success, and he 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 loves to uh, just being around the boys, being around the team, and and certainly he makes me appreciate. Uh, being a NHLer, like a full-time NHLer, more just seeing him, how he, how he acts, how he presents himself, and how he comes in every day, just have a smile on his face, and then you just go out there and having fun, and makes me, I mean, it makes me relax a little bit more, and especially coming in my first season, my second season, you're a little bit tense, a little bit nervous, you want to make do well for yourself, and he's just there, just nah, don't worry about it, like shit happens stuff like that and okay okay yeah you're probably right and it's just i mean we chat all the time when i when i get to the bench and we talk about what's going on in the game and like he just makes me uh more relaxed and calm during games also as well so we have a have a great relationship in in that sort of that point of view Okay, so I want to get to the gear, but I got one more I got to ask before we go there because I I got to hear about the uh, how you how you fixed up huts. I also want to you know I want to hear about this st- Stabila slide knee on the ultrasonic, um, but I I do got to before I forget you mentioned Hashik being a guy that you you know obviously that you that you looked up to as, from an early age or got to see on TV and maybe tr- maybe try to emulate. Um, you get drafted by the Sabers, obviously a legend in that franchise, and I know I've seen him around maybe not a ton but I've seen him around the team here and there. Have you ever had the opportunity to sit down and talk goaltending with Dominic Hasek and, and ask him some of the questions I'm sure you must have had when you were a kid? No, I'm sad that I haven't gotten to that point yet. It hasn't, it hasn't clipped, you know? I mean, he's been there a couple of times, uh, but I mean, he's busy with his stuff working for, for the team and I got my stuff and it just hasn't been a, a, uh, we haven't solved the, that sort of thing. So I certainly want to have a sit down and just talk goaltending with him because I think that would be a great opportunity to kind of go through his perspective because you know everybody is talking about how he read the game and how we saw it. And But is that the whole truth or is there something else behind it? I, I'd highly recommend next time you get the... You got to try... I, I've only had a couple small glimpses into it and it was it was mind blowing some of the things that I think a lot of people assumed were unorthodox. Just there was always a method to that madness, and it's uh, it it would be a fa- I'd love to sit in on that conversation for sure. So now let's go to gear. Um, first off, how did how did you like the knee? Um, I think even talking to the guys at Bauer, they said like like we've had a lot of good feedback on it, but I think you know openly they said not everybody not every guy is going to love it. So it wasn't a thing where it was going to be an absolute. We've seen some guys in the NHL adopt it right away. Vasilevsky, Lundqvist, uh, talked to Ben Bishop recently, and he was kind of trying both. Where'd you come out on it? I know it's only one session or or maybe two sessions in it, but how'd you feel on it? I sent a text message to uh, the to Henry from Bauer there, um, saying like, feels like my regular pads after, but. So I had them for two sessions and they felt like my other pads that I, that I were feeling like I felt confident in them after like one and a half, two weeks regarding pulse integrations and all that sort of stuff. But 
with these pads, it felt like I could go out there and play a, a game with them right away. It was such a weird feeling because it's it's you're so used to having gear that is becoming better and better as time goes by. They're, they they don't just click right off the bat. You get a certain feel for them. You put the the string or the the straps, the velcro, everything is kind of like okay, how did I do this? How do I want it? But with these pads, this is the first time when I just you strap them on on every place that I usually like usually do, and they just felt great. They felt like the certain there was a certain pop to them. They sealed the eyes real well. Um, felt like the five hole especially was a big difference for me that I felt with the with the knees um, because because how stiff they were and that they it's kind of, I haven't really gone into the whole I have to talk a little bit more with them and I have to look at it and see how they respond in maybe two or three weeks of uh, consistent practice but for now I would certainly make the change. I will certainly make the change if I stick with Bauer. Nice. Now it's it's interesting because it 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 it's a totally unique idea. You know me. I'm I'm a goalie gear geek too. So I I love it when when companies try new things and try something different like that. And and in theory, it makes a ton of sense. Where'd your love for the gear come from? I mean, you said you watched it as a kid, but like, and how did it evolve over time? Like, did you have the understanding right away, or have you built that up over the years, or was there a goalie that sort of sat you down and said, "Listen, you got to know your gear"? <laughs> no, it hasn't. Like the the whole gear idea has has evolved for myself. It hasn't been really anyone from the outside, uh, except for my brother. That we we always talked about how guys looked on the ice, but when I was talking to my brother, it was more about the players, like having. Uh, certain gloves or, or like their sticks or whatever, we would always know when they switched. So that kind of transpired into me looking at other goalies. And all of a sudden you have a guy like Dave Art who creates a huge amount of masks every year. Back in the day, he had a... <laughs> I, I, for the guys that follow Dave Art, you've seen maybe some screenshots from his old website. That's where my love for, for goaltending and, and masks like started. I would always go out there. I would go watch these masks and I would watch the photographs and I would see them in SHL later on. And I'd say, okay, that's got that guy. Because I didn't know that guy because I obviously you don't you don't know the name of them, you're you kid, but then all of a sudden you get this, um, you get this foot in into the door of the the goalie life, and you have all these pros wearing his his designs, and it's just becoming more and more. Like I would say, I didn't become a maniac, but definitely a goalie gear nerd. And then all of a sudden, it got to a point where I think it was Marty Turco who had the same kind of mask in Dallas with the gargoyles on his ends, who just, that after that, it exploded, starting having, like, writing down what every goal they were and whatever they used and if they changed anything and, like, what kind of sticks do they use, what kind of tape job do they wear. And it, it got into, like, 
yeah, it was just I was focusing more on how the the guys actually looked on the ice than the actual score or the the game itself. So that's hilarious. What um in terms of as much of its fashion and style matters, and you've got a great look going with Bauer. How much do you tinker with the functionality? Like, are you trying new things? Obviously, you tried the uh, the Stabila Slide Knee and the new Ultrasonic. Have you tried? Have you tinkered over the years with other things and different setups and like you said, when you dig into it, are you looking at how it affects, say, sliding or how it affects that five hole? Are you really digging in on it each time or is it just try try a few things, find out what you like and go from there? For me, it's I, me and, and Bauer has had a very, we have had a, we've had a very good relationship ever since the, the get-go um, because they're very, they have been very, um, how should I say it, patient with me. Because I know how certain things should feel and how I want them to feel. And going into it, like I, I love the uh, CCM slash Reebok 580 glove. That's just, that's my style. So, but Bauer didn't have that luxury of having a glove that's kind of the same. So going into my first season there with Bauer, I said, hey, can we maybe get something going and maybe have something that's pretty similar to it. And it took us maybe, I mean, almost the full season until we got to a point where I'm confident with this glove. And because the thing is then you get, you get sent a glove and then maybe it feels a certain way and then you get sent another one and it feels a different way. So we got to a point where, okay, I got different gloves at all times because it was always something different. And, but now last season, when we had the stock, we had all the specs in, in order. It, it was amazing how well it felt every time I got a new set of gloves or a gear. Just, I mean, I had the 50th anniversary gear, which was a completely different setup in glove-wise. But just because there was like a thicker padding, whatever, uh, in, in that glove and having the i didn't use use the uh a game ready and the practice club was wearing maybe like a something in between but it still felt great because the whole the mold for the hand and how the, the shape of it was feeling great so if you put in extra uh, stuffing or padding it didn't change how the glove felt so that was a great great thing now uh couple more because it's been longer than i said i take you but i really was curious about gaming i know you're a big gamer um, now I say that from a place of ignorance, I, I, I'm not a gamer, so I just don't, I don't know that world at all. Um, but how, how, what, what do you like about it? How could, does it help you with goaltending in any way? Do you think it can, what, how is it, what, what role does it play in your life now, Linus? And, and can it be a, a positive role in terms of whether it's just an escape from goaltending or are there actual things you think in terms of cognitively and and reaction time and things like that that can translate? Uh, for me, I see it this way. Um, I've played uh, computer games and all these sort of console games ever since I was young. It's always been a huge part of my life. Uh, and I still game a fair amount, uh, not as much as I used to now when, when I have, uh, have a kid. So, but for me, it's, I have a certain way of, of seeing it. So for, for instance, I 
I always play computer games on a game day um, just because it, it makes me uh, put, like you said, it, it keeps me away from the goaltending part keeps me away from from life it keeps me away from uh being worried about what's going to happen next because i'm so focused on doing playing my game so i don't think about <laughs> the game i'm gonna play later on at seven o'clock and that was th the thing when i i struggled with as well i i didn't play um computer games at a certain point in my career and I felt I was getting so nervous because I started thinking about the game so much, worrying about the game so much. So being an, a guy that analyzes and thinks about the game a lot, it, 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 this thing that I'm doing and what works for me is it just creates calmness in, in, in my life and in my game. Um, so, and another point is that the games that I play, uh, for the guys that know it, is it's a game called Dota 2. And you play with a team, and there's a lot of thinking going on at all times. It's not just uh, a shooter game like uh, Modern Warfare or uh, Counter-Strike or, say, uh, Overwatch for the, for the people who knows it. It's not just a straight-up go there, shoot this guy, and be done with it. It's, it's a more uh, specific uh, thing that it's a mind game for 25 to one and a half hour you never know it, it depends on what how how close it is so you always have to be sharp you always have to think about your next move kind of like chess you have to kind of have a game plan you have to follow through if you don't you're screwed you're done and you go next um, so that helps me too to kind of analyze all the time what, what's going on in front of me and then adapt to it. Kind of like as a goaltender that you can't just think that he's going to go top shelf because he might make a pass or so, but you have to adapt. You have to analyze, adapt, read it, and then go from there. Have you used any like virtual reality things specific to the position? Uh, we're seeing, you know, obviously the goalie sense arena now where you actually strap paddles on on gloves and blockers and it's like playing a game or even some of the simpler ones like NeuroTracker or NeuroTrainer where it's multi-object tracking. Like, have you ever used virtual reality or computers on that side of things for mental training or or just pretty much on the computer game side of things? Um, I've done some um, some eye works uh, with, uh, which helped me to a certain point. Um, but then it, for me, it was, so the guy that we, that we worked with, um, I'm sorry if, if you're, if he's hearing this, I, I can't, I can't remember his name now. Uh, he did a great job with me and Hudson. Uh, he's, I think he still works with Hudson as well. Um, so the things that we did, uh, it went well. I certainly felt a difference, but then again, it was just another thing to do. It wasn't, there was another thing to think about. There was another thing to always have with me to, to games. Uh, I have to do this. I have to do that. And it almost cost me, like it caused a stress in itself. Uh, because we, it might have been a, a good way to kind of put time away during like practice hours or whatever to do it. But, I mean, you're with the team. You're going to do what the team does. You're not going <laughs> to sit there by computer doing eye work training when the other guys are lifting in, in the gym. 
you're going to do lifting in the gym and you're going to do your stuff and you have all these sort of things that it didn't really pan out to do be a thing for me to keep working on but i'm still very i'm still very thankful for the for the work that we did because it certainly opened up juggling for example i never was a juggler before but now i juggle almost every day nice so that just that again i guess it's that fine line alienist like between the things that help you get ready and maybe too much can be overwhelming if you have too many of those things. And I've heard that from other goalies over, over the years too, where the routine gets so complex, they add so many parts to it um, that it can become a negative. It can become overwhelming. It can become exhausting. There's so many different things they would have to do by the end of it. Exactly. And I remember now, <laughs> I, I'm just going to pull it in there. Uh, he's on Instagram as well. His name is Josh Tucker, and he runs Troll Focus Vision. I was going to ask if it was Josh. It's Josh. Great guy. Great guy. Great Swedish. And he's been to Sweden a couple times. So uh, don't take a lesson from him when regarding to Swedish. But he's a tremendous guy. So give that guy a follow. Whatever. Uh, he certainly has a, a good thing going on. Yeah. No, we've worked with him as well. Last one then. Do you take a lot of pride in the rise of Swedish goaltending? Uh, we, we've obviously, you know, you, you mentioned Josh being over there. We have some other people we work with, Maria Mountain, who spent times over there. Um, obviously had the the pleasure of speaking with Thomas Magnuson on the podcast in the past, and I've, I've been blessed to get to meet him a few times, and always a pleasure to talk goaltending with him. Do you take pride uh, in sort of just how well things have gone for Swedish goaltending during your career, and, and what do you think are some of the keys to it? I think that we... We do a great job of how we see the game and how how detailed we are in the game. The only, I mean, it's it's a very like goaltending is such a complex word, but one of the things that we may, might do wrong is that we focus too much on our on the Sweden. We focus on what works here uh, in SHL, in the national team, big rings, whatever, and how we play the game. So, for all, I mean, if you, for example, I mean, there's not a, a lot of Swedish goaltenders that goes overseas that just takes the spot in, in, the, in the national. They have to go through the minors and get adjusted to the playing style, the, the smaller rings, and what comes with it. There's basically just, I mean, Henrik Lundqvist who goes in there and, and takes a job for himself. And it kind of says a lot because... I mean, we have the fundamentals, we have the details down to it, but we're just using them in, in, the, wrong, in the wrong way, I would say. Uh, a lot of reverses that are, in, in my mind, unnecessary. There's more to pulse integration than, than uh, reverse. And so that's one of the things that I, I try to talk about when, when I'm working over here with younger goals that just... Because there's a lot of young guys that stop competing if they if you have a drill when they have to go post to post on their knees and they they miss with the toe bar uh, and they just kind of gives up and I'm I always ask them like why are you giving up like are you going to give up in the game and that mentality that the North Americans have of not quitting once hits the fan is still something that we have to learn and not focus on just technique because i see guys now that are 13 14 years old that have better technique than i have but 
if they have better technique than I have, how come I still save more pucks during a practice than, than they do? Yeah. And it's, there's a lot of things going into it. And then you have other guys that are my age who are, um, I would say, not technically sound or, or stuff like that. Or let's just take, for example, in, in the, the NHL, we have a whole bunch of different guys who stops the pucks and they stop the puck in all different ways. There is no goalie in, in this league that are exactly the same. You have Bishop, who plays a certain type of game. You have Bobrovsky, who plays a certain type of game. You got Pekka who plays a certain type of game. You got me, who plays another type of game. So everybody, we're looking at all these guys, how they do and what they do well, but at the end of the day, you have to focus on yourself. And at the end of the day, also, it's not about how you stop the puck. It's if you save the puck, did you save the puck? That's what matters because <laughs> that's that's our job. Our job is to stop the puck and, and nothing else. I don't care if you're if you throw yourself there and you catch it with your teeth. If you do it, well, that sucks for your. Well, it's good for your dentist. Sucks for you, but that's just how goaltending is. Adapt, evolve, all that sort of things. It's one of the things we love about the position, Linus. There's no one way to do it. There are no absolutes. It's got there. There's so many different ways. And I love that perspective. And I can't thank you enough for taking this much time to share it with us. I know it's late there uh, back in Sweden. Uh, and I'm taking away from your evening after the little one's gone down to beds. But So I just wanted to make sure I said thank you very much, both from myself, but from our audience on Ingol Radio Podcast. Uh, I know they're going to love hearing this conversation. And, and thank you so much for spending so much time with us. No worries, man. I can keep rambling on about goaltending for at least a couple of more hours. You hit me up with questions, so I got an answer for them. But that's my answer. If guys like it or not, that's up to them. Perfect. You know what? You know I'm going to take you up on that. We'll definitely have you on as a return guest for hours two and three of Linus Allmark on goaltending. Thanks again. Uh, best of luck the rest of the summer. Enjoy that time with the family, like you said. And, uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you guys for having me. That was that was that was a really cool, uh, neat interview. Uh, Linus is so forthcoming and and calm, casual. Just uh, I love his town, three hundred. How do you say that the, the town's name? Oh, you're gonna what put you, me on the spot. I can't. Do you no, remember? I, I can't. I can't. I can tell you. <laughs> hey, listen, just, I can tell you where I'll he just played. Insert it. I'll just pull it from the clip and insert it again. L- Lugnvik, sweet. I I appreciate that, Hutch. <laughs> Listen, it took me years because he ended up playing in Modo, and that's where the Sedins are from. And obviously, my first training camp with the Canucks was in Stockholm, as I mentioned to Linus, and so I had to learn. It was their first camp too, how to pronounce Ornskordvik or Ovik where they yeah. played, and that took me forever. So don't ask. Like three hundred people. Ornskordvik is a that, tough yeah. one. That's a tough one because of the intimidate when you look at it. If you just say it, it's a lot easier than looking at it and saying yes. it. And so Linus's is a lot shorter, but no less it's it's no less difficult to pronounce. I thought you were gonna have to say that you struggle with moto. Yeah, and you know, I mean <laughs> some days I do, Darren. Some days I do. <laughs> So on the topic of Swedish goaltending, uh, we have Robin Leonard and uh, Jacob Markstrom uh, posting great performances uh, in the in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And then there's the the flip side of just uh 
the continual evolution. So where are you? It's interesting to me that, you know, Linus talked about Swedish goaltending and how, you know, maybe in his mind at times over there, it was a little technical or too technical at times. Um, He didn't mean it to be critical. We talked about it afterwards, but just, you know, an honest assessment of maybe that pendulum when we talk about, you know, heading into that interview, we talked about that pendulum that maybe it had swung too far to one side and 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 he as one of his idols was Dominic yes. Ashik. Yes. <laughs> so, so he so, might so have anything's going to be technical. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. The antithesis <laughs> of uh, of technical, you know, foundational goaltending. Although there, as we said, there was always a method to the madness with Dom. Um, but but I do think that um, you look at Markstrom, like we talked about the compete he has. When you look at Laner, he's talked about being able to play it different ways. About you know relying on reads, about being a little more patient and not as aggressive, and letting play come to him. About playing an entirely different way behind the Chicago Blackhawks earlier this season in a run and gun mold, compared to how he did behind the lock it down, no rush chances New York Islanders. So um, you know again, I, I think the foundation is important. Um, but you have to add layers on top of it, and that's probably where Linus was going there, and I think that's fair to say that both Lehner and Markstrom have done so uh, throughout their careers. You know, and, and frankly, Markstrom probably relied too much on athleticism early in his career. It's not a coincidence that he's had this rise in the past two years after remaking some of the foundational elements within Clark. What uh, do you think of this, uh, the in-goal bump that we've given our friends? Uh, Carter Hartz had a uh, fantastic playoff and uh, the number one seed Philadelphia Flyers in a position to, as we record this, eliminate his idol, uh, Carey Price. Uh, Jake Allen uh, back in the fold with the with the St. Louis Blues and getting started. Well, I think we might have given Jake Allen the in-goal bump because there's three different pieces with uh, Jake Allen up on in-goal premium right now. And he uh, seems to have taken over the reins as the starter for the Blues, at least for the moment. Uh, so we'll call that the bump, although it felt a little uncomfortable yesterday when we emailed out to 45,000 people or so um, the compilation of Carter Hart material sort of celebrating his back-to-back shutouts uh, went out a little later in the day than we'd hoped. And it was uh, promptly after a few people started receiving it that Montreal started started scoring a few goals last night. So I hope that wasn't the end goal sort of anti-bump there, Woody. Any thoughts on that one? I think I think that Carter Hart is far too mentally strong to be worried about our email to uh, a bunch of goaltenders affecting what he's doing on the ice. I, I think we're safe. Well, and we were good enough to send it later in the day so we wouldn't be reading it in the stall before he went out on the ice. Yes. Right. I, That's very nice. Cause, cause clearly you, guys, uh, you guys have an opinion. You guys have an opinion on uh, Elaine Vigneault planning on taking Carter oh out. Oh, my gosh. But then after the goal, after the goal was called back, putting him back in after a conversation. It was one of those awkward moments. That's exactly how I described it. I had a coach text me saying that that had happened, and I just all I could write back was awkward. Well, and after years of Elaine Vigneault here in Vancouver talking about process, not results, pretty odd to see him go away from the process and, and make a decision like that based on the result. Yeah, unless unless he's just got such regard for Carter's mental strength. And, you know, sometimes we do say to goalies, you're not getting pulled because of your results or your process. It's mm-hmm. the team results. So you could sort of argue there. I've already shaken up the team because they can see what was going on there. And now I'm saying to Carter, you're my guy. Um, and there was a conversation. Yeah, so I'd be interested to know what he said. Um, but it really was awkward. And if you're not a mentally strong goaltender to know that your coach has that that hook just about set, um, that would be really uncomfortable. Well, hey, he gave he gave him the uh, hook the game before the back-to-back shutout. So if anything, 
we've seen Carter prove that right. you know, he's has no problem shaking that off and coming back the yeah. next night. Yeah. Truth. Uh Jake Allen taking over for Jordan Bennington. Would he Well, I mean, listen, um Jake Allen had a hell of a season. Nine twenty seven save percentage. Um you know, and we we've done a story at Ingold Premium already on Jordan Bennington, and a lot of people sort of saw his raw numbers drop to nine twelve and say, "Hey, sophomore, you know, sophomore slump," and and that wasn't the case. Um, his adjusted numbers, courtesy of ClearSight Analytics, put him top five, top six in the NHL. Jake Allen was up there as well, just didn't play enough minutes to sort of qualify for the, in that sort of starters mold. But in the minutes he did play, the adjusted numbers were even higher. What's interesting to me, and we'll have an article. Paul Campbell's going to take a deep dive in, into the numbers on this how much better and and maybe when you're only playing as often as jake did it, it can be the team you're playing the situation but for whatever reason his expected save percentage is like significantly like 0.13 higher than jordan bennington in other words the team played better defensively this season statistically with jake and so i thought that was interesting with that change there both of them have had excellent years Bennington just didn't look like Bennington in the first couple of games. And so you understand the decision, especially when you have a guy like Jake behind him. I think, you know, beyond evaluating it, I love the lessons that came from Jake Allen's season. And that was one of the features that we wrote uh, this week at Ingold Premium was sort of going back to the conversations I had with him in early November. Coming off in October, where he played three games in five weeks, won two of them. But his numbers were like 855 save percentage. Like from the surface, looking at that, you've played three times in five weeks. The other guy's on a roll. You're barely getting to play. Your numbers, your raw numbers are terrible. And he came into Vancouver and talked to me about all the trust he had in his game and how everything was there and he felt good about it. The next night he had a good night in Edmonton and he rolled from there to a career best save percentage season. And now he's in the net for the Blues in the playoffs. And I think there are a lot of really important lessons there for young goalies, especially young pros too, to not get caught up in short-term results. Again, unlike Elaine Vigneault the other night, perhaps focus on the process and not the results. If you start chasing changes in your game based on three or four outings, and when that little round you know, vulcanized rubber disc can bounce so oddly. Um, you know, I'm not saying ignore bad results, but but really understand, like, is this a function of how I'm playing or is this just one of those stretches all goaltenders go through? And don't always, sometimes we chase change for the sake of change when things are going well. And rather than sticking with our foundation, there's a valuable lesson to me in, in the way Jake had such faith and trust was his word in his foundation early this season and how he has been rewarded for it ever since. Woody, I'd love that piece that you just did um, between outings on the surfboard out there in Tofino. You're still thinking goaltending. I thought it was a fabulous piece. And as you just said, it's a good lesson for young goaltenders and for young pros. I mean, that brings us back to the interview with Jonathan Bernier, where he talked about the very same thing, having to learn about uh, process over results. And and I think that piece you did this week, Woody, sort of embodies what we're trying to do at InGoal because it applies to absolutely everybody in the goaltending community. A pro can learn from those lessons. A young goaltender will learn from those lessons. Goaltending parents, you really need to read that article and think um, about how you're interacting with your son or daughter and evaluating their performances and supporting their development more important than anything um, as you see them going through their ups and downs. And, and coaches, it's great for you as well just to to learn about how you're evaluating your athletes and, and again, supporting them in their development. So love that piece, Woody. Thanks.
It's uh, been a, a great uh, episode, uh, and this uh, Ingol Radio, the podcast uh, from Sweden to uh, the west coast of Canada, down to the desert. Uh, the Vikings know all about uh, big journeys and long journeys, and we're seeing a couple of them in the Stanley Cup playoffs right now, and Linus hoping to get there one day himself. Uh, we'll let you get back to the surf, uh, Woody, as we ride the wave of the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs on Ingol Radio, the podcast. <laughs>